Hi, Betfolio voice friends. Thank you for joining me for this episode sponsored by DECRA, where I'm joined by Dr. Cindy Ward to discuss some of the many challenges we face when managing chronic kidney disease in our feline friends. Eating and drinking, I mean, it sounds so simple, but as many of us know well, when we're dealing with kidney cats, it can really be anything but simple. However, hope is not lost as there are many new products, techniques, and management strategies to help keep these kitties hydrated and in good body condition. As I mentioned, I was joined by Dr. Cindy Ward. Dr. Ward earned her VMD and PhD degrees from the University of Pennsylvania. She completed residency training at the Veterinary Teaching Hospital at the University of Pennsylvania in small animal internal medicine and a Reproductive Endocrinology Fellowship at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine. She was on faculty at the University of Pennsylvania until 2005 when she moved to the University of Georgia. Dr. Ward has been honored by numerous teaching awards and was named the Josiah Miggs Distinguished Teaching Professor of Internal Medicine at the University of Georgia in 2015. She achieved emeritus status in 2021. Dr. Ward is the founder and director emerita of the UGA Veterinary Diabetes Clinic. She's authored numerous journal articles, book chapters, and research abstracts. Yet despite her numerous achievements, Dr. Ward was just as practical and down to earth as could be. So let's go ahead and get into our episode. All right, I'm here today with Dr. Cindy Ward. We're gonna be talking about chronic kidney disease in cats. So Cindy, thank you so much for being here today. I'm really excited to be here um, and glad to talk over what we see pretty commonly in cats. And I know that it's a huge problem for a lot of practitioners in terms of how to deal with them. Absolutely. And you kind of hit the nail on the head that we do see it commonly, but just to kind of start off with the basics, can you give us an overview of what we're looking at when we are seeing these chronic kidney disease cats, just the pathophysiology behind that disease? Yeah, so it's a, boy, it's a common disease, isn't it? And we see it in a lot of older cats. The pathophysiology is not very well understood, believe it or not. So uh, even though we see it all the time, we don't really understand exactly what causes it. But what we do know is that these cats get sort of a nephritis in the interstitium and also the tubular area of their kidneys, and it causes a progressive destruction of their kidneys. And interesting, it's, it can be linear, so you can have this linear decrease in function, but also I think we see these cats that will stabilize for a while and then all of a sudden have a decrease in function. So it also has kind of a different timeline depending on the individual cat. Interesting. And I've definitely seen that where, you know, we're doing fine, we're doing fine. And then it's like, what happened? All of a sudden, everything right. kind of deteriorated. So you're saying we don't, that, that just happens sometimes. We don't always find a reason for it. No. And, you know, interestingly, there's been a ton of research that's looked into why these cats get this interstitial tubulonephritis and the etiology has not been identified, which is interesting, but you're right. It's like some cats will just have this linear decline in other cats, you know, they're fine, 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 fine. And you're right. All of a sudden, then we just see them get incredibly azotemic, like at the drop of a hat. Yeah. And those are always no fun to manage. Cause then of course, mom and dad are going, what happened? What like, happened? We don't know. <laughs> right. So our focus of our talk today is to talk about some targeted strategies for dealing with challenges related to managing CKD patients. For example, getting them to eat a kidney diet or really for that matter, getting them to eat at all. So why is it so difficult to manage diet and appetite in these guys? 
Well, so I think the big problem is their cats, right? And cats never <laughs> like to eat anything that they don't want to eat. Uh, and they can just be difficult to manage because you're trying to change something on them. And they've decided that they do not want change in their lives. And boy, it is, it's hard to win the argument about food with, with cats. But I think the special challenge with these cats are as their kidney disease gets worse and they're less able to process the toxins that build up because their kidneys aren't working, they get more and more nauseated and therefore they don't really want to eat. And one of the other big problems is the food that they really want to eat, which is high in protein because they're obligate carnivores and they really want to eat protein. That's kind of the food that we don't want them to eat. So that, that food's going to have more nitrogenous waste for them to actually process. It's harder for them to do that and actually makes them feel worse. So it can be a real challenge to get them to eat because we want to change their diets and we want to take them away from what they really want to eat, which is a lot of protein. And we know that diet is really important in these guys, as much as sometimes maybe we don't want it to be because it is hard to get them <laughs> to eat what we want them to eat. Um, and despite our best efforts, sometimes they just won't eat a kidney diet, like you said, because they're cats and they're just not going to go along with that change. So are there strategies that we can use to adjust their diets? in ways that'll still benefit their kidneys or at least be as easy on their kidneys as possible. Yeah. And so we, we really want them to be on a low protein, low phosphorus diet. If we can do that, the low protein diet has been shown experimentally to make a big difference in actually controlling kidney disease in these cats and, or controlling the progression of CKD in these cats and making them feel better. There's not a whole lot we can do for them, but this is one thing we really can do for them that will help. And so we, we focus on diet because it is something that we can do and it does make a difference. And we want them to be on a low phosphorus diet because the elevated phosphorus levels, of course, can make them feel really nauseated. But you're right. The issue is, what do we do about it? So we put them on a low protein, low phosphorus diet. They don't want to change their diet. They also don't like the food. And so therefore they decide that they're not going to eat it. So there's a couple of strategies you can use. One is, and I'm sure all of us have tried this, is we try the little sample packs with different types of diets in them. And those have come out recently. I remember when I first started practicing, we'd have to send owners home with tons of different food samples. But now several of the pet food companies have these variety packs where you can actually send them home with a box of different diets that the owners can try and see if there, there will be a type of diet that they will eat. So that's helpful. The other thing is there are some medications out on the market now, which can be really helpful. And one of the new ones out on the market is Porous One. And what this is, is something that you can add into food and it basically absorbs the nitrogenous waste in the system. So they don't, it doesn't really get absorbed into the, the bloodstream and the cats are able to excrete it more easily. And one of the things that maybe may allow you to do is actually keep the animal on a diet that it will eat, even if it's a little bit higher in protein, because you're going to be hopefully taking care of that with this additive to the food. Sure. And that will help battle that other component that, that is always challenging of, can we get them to eat at all? At least that way, maybe we can, if they are absolutely refusing a kidney diet, still let them eat something that's appetizing to them, but make it a little bit easier on their kidneys. 
that that is absolutely correct and remember that a lot of these cats are actually older cats and have multiple diseases so we also may be dealing with a cat that's got inflammatory bowel disease and therefore sure. now we're worried about you know trying to limit the antigen load that they have in their gi tract and so when that happens again it is harder than to adjust the diet to something that will favor the kidneys. But, you know, another strategy that we can use as well is actually using appetite stimulants with them. It, sometimes they just need a little bit of a, of a, I like to call it a convincing drug to help them uh, decide that they actually do want to eat and that eating is actually a good thing. And there are some, certainly some strategies out there for that. One of the drugs that has been shown to be particularly helpful with cats is mirtazapine. There's a lot of data to show that it's a very nice appetite stimulant in cats. And there is a transdermal formula, formulation of that that's available now, which is really helpful. It's called Miritaz. So you don't have to be shoving pills down their throat. And that can absolutely help them sometimes uh, increase their appetite. And sometimes you can actually, it will help them transition onto a new diet because you know cats hate to change their food and so sure. sometimes just giving them a little bit of an appetite stimulant to transition them over to a new diet can be helpful as well and what are your feelings on using things like Miritaz or even like assisted feeding in these guys? You know, I, I've certainly have encountered some pushback from owners when I say, well, you know, if they don't want to eat, I, I feel like I'm making them eat when they don't want to. But really from my experience, I feel like these types of things can, can do a world of good for these cats. I absolutely agree. I mean, the last thing that you want to do is see a cat who's like starving himself to death for whatever reason. And I found that actually assisted feeding or using feeding tubes can be really, really helpful. Many of our criticalists, of course, like to use nasoesophageal or nasogastric tubes, especially for short-term feeding in cats, which is fine because they're easy to put in and there's almost no side effects to them. And you can certainly do that to get them kind of over a hump, but no cat wants to go home with a tube in its nose if they don't have to. So I've actually found that using esophagostomy tubes can be really, really helpful in some of these cats. They tolerate them really well. They're pretty easy to put in. So there's a couple of benefits. Yes, you can feed them. So now you can feed them anything you want to. The tube's pretty big. And so you can put them on a blenderized diet, which is helpful. And you can also give them all their meds through that. So all those phosphorus binders that we use that they hate, you can put those through the tube and you can also give them water. So if you have a cat that's maybe not drinking as much as you want and, and you're trying to decide how to supplement them, if they've got an esophagostomy tube in, it's pretty easy to actually just give them water via the tube. Then you don't have to give them subcutaneous fluids at home. So it's not for everybody. E-tubes are not for everybody, but I certainly have had owners that have actually let me put them in just for medication management in some of these CKD cats because they don't want to have to pill them and they don't want to have to give them sub-Q fluids and you can do everything through the tube. Absolutely. And I know, well, I would have a hard time if somebody said, you know, you can't eat per os anymore because that is such a source of joy for me. Some of these cats really tolerate them well and they don't seem to mind and, and they'd much prefer them to like sub-Q fluids and stuff like that. 
Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And and some of these uh, companies now have these really nice little neck wraps that you can use to actually put the e-tubes in. They're really colorful and pretty and it, you know, they're very easy to use in cats. So I think that it's a strategy that a lot of people have been doing. Of course, you know, if you can get them over the hump with a nice diet that they like, if if you can, maybe if, if something like a porous one would help you or certainly giving them an appetite stimulant, we like to do that the most, right? Because we want to keep them as as natural as we can, but certainly assisted feeding and esophagostomy tubes are a great way to manage some of these cats. Absolutely. And, you know, we're talking about diet, you know, reduced appetite or inappetence in these guys, but what about patients who require management for more than one condition at a time? Like, for example, if we had a patient who had CKD and diabetes at the same time. Yeah. So those are always the challenges, aren't they? Because those are the cats that have really, uh, and, and we see it a lot in these older cats too, like let's, you know, let's not forget it. Many of these cats are going to have concurrent diseases. And for many of them, you sort of have to pick what you're going to attack with your diet changes or what you're going to actually treat. So one of the questions that I get asked a lot is, you know, let, let's say you have a diabetic cat who also has CKD. So we know that diabetes in, in cats is very responsive to a low carbohydrate diet. That can be a big changer in diabetic cats. So what do you do with a cat like that? Well, my approach to that is, okay, I don't have a whole lot I can do about the kidney disease, but one thing I can do is the diet. So it probably is more advantageous to feed for the kidney disease and then just realize that you're probably going to have to use more insulin in managing the diabetes. You know, and another example might be a cat with inflammatory bowel disease that's on a limited antigen type diet. Now all of a sudden the cat's got CKD and you may be choosing, you know, what, what is going to be the best type of a diet for that cat. So maybe you would choose a limited antigen diet and add in something like a porous one to it, or you would say, okay, I got to get this cat on a kidney diet. He'll eat it. He's going to eat the low protein, low phosphorus diet. He's going to, and I have to get him on that diet. So my strategy is going to be that maybe rather than just managing his inflammatory bowel disease with diet and, and being a little bit more hands-off on that, I'm going to have to jump in and maybe add in a steroid or something like that to help manage it. So I think it can be a real balancing act. And what I try to do is figure out which disease the diet is the most important for, like what, you know, what can I manage around the diet as much as I can. Sure. And I, I feel like in that first example, the CKD and diabetes, I was kind of rolling that around in my head a little bit. And I went, man, that's a tough choice as far as deciding which one you're going to attack. And I think what you said was maybe doing a kidney diet and then using a little bit more insulin. Mm -hmm. um, because even though that diabetes is so responsive to the diet, really, that's like the opposite of what we would want to feed for kidneys. That's exactly right. And you can always manage diabetes around another problem. You can just give them more insulin if you need to, and just recognize that they wouldn't be as well controlled as if you had them on the, the low carbohydrate diet, but realizing also that when you've got a cat with CKD, there's not a whole lot we can do about that. And one important thing we can do is diet. So again, I would just opt for the more insulin and then put them on the optimal diet for the kidney disease. I feel like I just took like a deep breath when you gave that answer. It like gave me permission to say you won't <laughs> be able to manage it all perfectly. Just do your, you know, pick one and do your best. 
Well, and that's right. And then we have the cat, right? Because you can yeah. design the best therapy that, that you, that, you know, is just going to be perfect. And the cat's going to say, yeah, I'm not doing that. Right. <laughs> I just, ha- I had one like that recently. It was kind of sad. This poor kitty, he was diabetic and, and I don't mean to get off topic here. Cause I know we're talking about kidneys, but um, it was exactly what you said. You know, we, we did the right diet. We tried the right diets. We tried to do like freestyle Libre. We did our, you know, everything right. And he just, he wouldn't tolerate the insulin shots. We put a freestyle Libre on him and he tried to like kill all the other cats in the house and mm-hmm. refused to eat any of the appropriate diets. And we, and like you said, he was just a cat. He said, Nope, I'm not doing any not of that. Doing it. Not doing it. <laughs> oh, he was, he was a goofball, but yeah, he just would not tolerate anything like that. So yeah, I, I think that's a good reminder. Just do the best we can when we're managing these guys. Okay, so even if we feel confident that our patients are eating and drinking, one of the parameters we're monitoring really closely in kidney cats is their weight because weight loss and muscle mass are major concerns. And we might not always know exactly how much they're eating and drinking. So are there some strategies that we can employ to help give us confidence that our patients are getting the appropriate amount of food and water? Yeah, there's some, there are definitely some things you can do. First of all, I love to educate owners on doing body condition score and muscle condition scoring. And I think muscle condition scoring is kind of an underutilized technique. We weigh the cats a lot, you know, and, and I deal with this too, when, when you're dealing with, you know, like hyperthyroid cats or diabetic cats, you know, we're as well as CKD cats, you know, you're worried about them their weight, but really what we want them to do is gain muscle. And so um, doing muscle condition scoring, I try to teach owners how to do that. It's pretty easy to do. They're great diagrams on the BSAVA website. And I think that it can be really helpful for owners to actually look at the muscling of their cats. So that's one thing that I have them look at. They can also do body condition scoring and they can also buy scales at home. You know, you can get baby scales that you can weigh these cats on at home. And that's usually not a big deal for owners to do. So that's one set of strategies that you can do. The the other thing that is just available on the market that I just discovered is this whole like system that has come out from PetSure and it's really cool. And there's one there, the water component of it is called the feel aqua system. And it actually, the cats, it will actually sink to the cat's microchip. Or you can put like a collar with a little chip on it or, you know, a little cat collar and they have a little chip that you can synchronize with the drinking apparatus. And it actually measures how much these cats drink. And that is fabulous when you're trying to make sure the cats are staying hydrated. And it's also fabulous for monitoring, especially if you're looking at like diabetes therapy, monitoring how much they're drinking response to insulin therapy. So these are great. The cats walk up, their chip is registered onto the drinking apparatus. They take their drink and then it weighs how much water they drink and then converts it into ounces. And you can get a whole record of that. So that's one thing you can do for the drink. The other thing you can do is they've got a whole feeding system that is set up as well that's chip monitored. And basically it's a covered feeding system. The cat walks up, it reads their microchip, the doors open to the food and they can eat their food. And that's wonderful if people have a multi-cat household and uh, let's say one of the cats has CKD and they want to put that cat on a kidney diet and they want to monitor how much that cat is eating. So it will actually record how much that cat's eating as well as that is the only cat that can get into that food. 
So it only opens for the cat with the microchip. So it's actually kind of a cool system. So these are some of the things that are actually coming out now as companies are recognizing the fact that we really do need to monitor these cats more closely than we have been. How cool is that? I mean, technology to the rescue here. I'm, I know, and I'm telling you, so I have a cat with CKD, and so I've employed all of these strategies with him. <laughs> so he's on Miritaz, he's on Pores One, and honestly, I record his drinking, and I have a list of how much he's drank for like the last three weeks. It is really, it's a very nice, easy system. The other thing it does for you too, by the way, I don't work for the people that make this, it's just a really <laughs> cool system. Is, is it actually tells you when it's time to refill the water. So you'll get a little thing saying it's empty, go refill it. And that's really nice too. So you don't forget. That is so cool. Cause I mean, it, it can be hard with diabetics and with CKD cats because a lot of times like they're drinking in the middle of the night or, you know, you're at work and you're not quite sure how much is going on. Like you said, multi-cat households. And then, you know, with the food, it's like, leaving it down all the time because you want them to have as much access to food as possible. But then how much did they eat? Did they eat today? Like, it's just so cool. It answers all these questions that it can be really hard to, to figure out when without these types of systems. Yeah, you bet. So let's switch gears here a little bit and, um, and talk about anemia because that can be a big problem in these patients and just really make them feel crummy. And I guess not totally switching gears because that is one thing that'll make them not want to eat. Can you share some of your strategies for managing anemia so that hopefully by keeping that under control, we can keep them feeling good enough to keep their appetite up and and keep that weight on them? So I think that, that that's, that's a really good question. And I think that the first part of it is that you have to recognize that it's a problem. And I think for a long time, people didn't really recognize how the anemia could make these cats feel so bad. And it does. It's well documented in people that if you support people and make sure that their blood count is normal and their hemoglobin is normal, then they feel so much better when they've got kidney disease. And certainly in cats, we see this as well. So I think part of the deal is recognizing that it is a problem. And once the cat's, you know, PCV gets to be, you know, less than 20 percent, it would be time to think about doing something if the owners are going to pursue that. And the cats really do feel much better. They're much more active. They're more willing to eat. So there's a couple of strategies that you can do. So remember that the reason that this is happening is that the kidneys produce erythropoietin, a hormone that causes blood cells to be made. And so if the kidneys aren't working, then they're not making the erythropoietin. And so basically there's nothing wrong with the cat's bone marrow. It's just that they don't have the right hormone to allow them to make red blood cells. So, um, so there a couple of strategies that you can use to help out. One, of course, is blood transfusions. And some people have managed these cats that way, remembering that it takes about 60 days for, for red blood cells to, to break down. So if you were transfusing them every other month, that could be a strategy to keep their blood count up. I would say that that's not a great strategy to actually count on because first first of all, it's really hard to find cat blood sometimes. And second of all, over time, these guys can develop antibodies. And even if you have, you've made, well, obviously you're making sure that you're putting the right type of blood into the cat, but over time when they are getting these transfusions, sometimes they'll actually hemolyze some of them. So that's probably not the greatest strategy long-term. And so then we turn to other ways to actually artificially supplement the hormone. We can use human products that are out there. 
There are a couple that have been used over time. One, Apigen has been used for a long time in cats. And again, it's a human erythropoietin. It can have erythropoietin activity in cats. It can cause an increase in their red blood cells and make them feel better. Part of the problem with that drug is that um, it can cause an antibody response to these cats. And therefore, then they then they form antibodies to their own erythropoietin. Even if they're making a little bit of it themselves, then they can form antibodies to it. And then the hormone just doesn't work at all. So you have, you have nothing left to, to, to utilize in the cats. There's another formulation, darbopoietin, that's out there that's a little less immunogenic for cats. So it causes less antibody formation and it's safer. The problem, of course, as you might imagine, is it's more expensive. So it can be quite a cost bite for a lot of owners out there. And you have to give it, you know, at, by injection several times a week until their blood count gets up to where you want it to be. Then you can give it every couple of weeks to every month to maintain them. And in a lot of cats, it works really, really well. It will give them their erythropoietin support. It will allow them to maintain their, their blood count. And it's just a little bit costly. And I would say that, you know, most people think that it may be like 500 to $1,000 a month for some of these cats to treat them. So it's, it's reasonably expensive. And remember that if you're using any sort of supplementation like that, you know, giving them any kind of hormones, you absolutely have to make sure that they have enough iron. You can measure iron levels in them, although that is harder to interpret. And I think what a lot of people do is they just give them a shot of iron every month or so if they're on any sort of exogenous hormone therapy. So those are things that are available now. And again, remembering that iron is really important in a lot of these cats. So don't forget to do that. I've, I've seen a lot of cats that have come in where people have diligently given like erythropoietin, either epigen or darbopoietin and forgotten the iron part of it. And then these cats just don't have enough iron to make red blood cells. So that's an important part of it. Um, I will say that, that there are some pretty darn exciting things coming out. Nothing's FDA approved yet, and it's going to be a while before we see it commercially available. But there are some clinical trials that are happening on some gene therapy products for feline erythropoietin, and these cats can get one injection, and the gene is actually inserted into their own cells, and they can actually make their own erythropoietin. So I think in the next like five years or so, there's going to be some really, really exciting options for these cats that is going to kind of bypass the problems that we're having with the exogenous hormone therapy that we have available now. That's so exciting. I mean, all it's these developments. Exciting. Yeah. Like, I mean, we're talking about like the feel aqua and those types of feeding systems and, and th these gene therapy products. I mean, the answers to so many things that we've struggled with in these cats forever. Right. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. Well, that's really exciting. And I think this has been just fantastic information as far as, you know, like, we talked about how to keep these guys eating, how to keep the weight on them and supplement their feeding when they're just not making it easy for us. Um, so Dr. Ward, thank you so much for, for joining me and for all the great information. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. And these cats can be so darn frustrating as we all know. So the more tools that we have available, the more I think that we can, we can help them over time. So kind of an exciting time to be there as things are getting developed. All right, everybody, I hope you enjoyed that and walked away with some great tips on managing these poor kidney kitties. I want to say a big thank you to Dr. Ward for joining us and thank you to DECRA for sponsoring this episode. For more episodes like this, click on the education tab on the Vetfolio website. 
As always, we'd love to hear your input on this episode as well as ideas for topics you'd like to hear from us in the future. Feel free to reach out to me at dvm at vetfolio.com. You can also visit my Facebook page at Dr. Cassie DVM, and you can find me on LinkedIn. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day.